0: Words of introduction, Pastor Paul. It's a wonderful time to be a Bruins fan. So, (laughs) Uh, Pastor Paul has been leading us chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we find ourselves in chapter 14. We're going to consider a portion of this chapter beginning at verse 13 and reading through verse 33. Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there by boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. As we reflect on this passage and others related to it, we want to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. We will see that Jesus is the compassionate Christ. Jesus is the compelling Christ and Jesus is the companion Christ. Let me begin by saying that these accounts from the life and ministry of Jesus will be very familiar to many of you. The feeding of the 5,000 followed by Jesus walking on the waters of the Sea of Galilee are important episodes in the ministry of Jesus, so much so that all four gospel writers describe the feeding of the multitude, and three of them describe Jesus walking on the water. For those of us who've been participating in community groups, You'll recall that we've discussed these same events when we read through chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark a few weeks ago. It's good to remember that the Holy Spirit is always giving us new insight into his inspired word. So let's see what truths he reveals to us this morning. In the first few verses of our passage, we're reminded of the compassion of Jesus. Verse 13 begins, Now when Jesus heard this, This is referring to the first 12 verses of chapter 14, where Matthew describes the paranoia of Herod the Tetrarch, the king who had arranged for the execution of John the Baptist. Herod was now hearing about another man preaching about the kingdom of God and performing many astounding healings, so he was looking to meet Jesus. We can assume that Jesus was very fond of his cousin John, a person he had known all his life, And a person who had faithfully performed the difficult ministry that he had been called to so this news that jesus had received will surely have caused him much sorrow in sadness and weariness jesus wanted to spend some time in solitude with his father in prayer and also to have some time with his disciples to hear about how god had been working in their lives so he and the disciples retreat from the busy town where they had been staying but there would be no rest for Jesus and the disciples. The whole region had heard about the miraculous healings that Jesus had performed, and there were many people who were desperate to experience this healing in their own lives or in the lives of their loved ones. And so, traveling around the Sea of Galilee, they outran the boat that was carrying Jesus and the disciples to the opposite shore of the Sea of Galilee. It would be reasonable to expect that Jesus, upon arriving at the shore, would say to these people, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. I'm exhausted, I'm heartbroken about my friend John, I'm aware that Herod is looking for me, please leave me alone for a while. But that's not who Jesus is. As we've already learned in previous chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a tremendous heart of compassion for these people. He once again pours his love into these needy people sheep without a shepherd, as we read in Matthew 9, working throughout the day to bring restoration to the lives of those who came to him. This is the compassionate Christ, the Jesus that we all desire to know, the one who will make everything right in our lives as well. This is the version of Jesus that our culture today is still willing to accept, the caring God-man who loves and cares for all people. And yet, we know from the Bible that Jesus did not heal all who came to him. In the last verses of the previous chapter, we're told that Jesus did not do mighty works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Does that mean that Jesus did not have compassion for the people of his hometown? In our church family, we celebrate and give God the glory when we learn about healing and recovery from difficult diagnoses. And that's the right thing to do because our very lives are a gift from God. But does that mean that God does not care, that He does not see our pain and suffering when we don't experience the healing and recovery that we long for? When we can't escape the physical illness or mental illness or loneliness or grief that weighs us down? The truth is that we need to be reminded again and again how much deeper the love and compassion of our Savior is than just dealing with our temporal needs in this life. Jesus knew that the brokenness and suffering in this world were not what God had intended for his created people. God desires a community of joy and wholeness, a people who rejoice in their Creator God and in the world he has placed them in, a world of life and peace and flourishing. It was our rejection of our Creator God that brought sin and suffering and death into our world. And Jesus was deeply moved whenever he encountered it. He was moved with sadness by those who rejected his offer of true life, such as the rich young ruler who was too attached to his own material wealth. He was moved with frustration by those who ignored his offer of renewal so that they could continue on in their own man-made path of futility. Jesus cared about everyone he met and he cares about all of us here today and all those who are journeying through life in this broken world. Jesus provided healing for some, he provided bread for a day on occasion, but so much more than any of these temporary solutions, which bring relief but still end in death, he has provided the permanent solution, reconciliation with God through his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, and His resurrection to life eternal with His Father in Heaven. This is the compassion of Christ that we need to understand. It is the compassion that we, as His followers, need to have for our world as well. But that kind of compassion doesn't come to us easily, does it? We go on to read in today's passage that time had passed, the day was ending, and the people were hungry and far away from any sources of food. The disciples were rightly concerned about the problem, but they didn't think they could do anything about it. Jesus, please send these people away to get some food. But here we see the compassionate Christ is also the compelling Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, no, don't send them away. You feed them. Jesus is compelling his disciples to be part of the solution to the problem. And the disciples' response is very practical. Feed them with what? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. That won't go very far for a crowd of this size. I'm guessing that if you're like me, you're sometimes surprised at the disciples' inability to understand the power of God that was present right in their midst. These men had already witnessed incredible miracles of healing. They had seen Jesus calming the stormy waters. They had seen water turned into wine, the dead raised to life. But before we criticize the disciples' reactions, we need to take a look in the mirror, don't we? How many times have we felt God's call to serve him in some way that isn't comfortable, and our response has been, no, I don't have the resources to do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the finances. I don't have the talents. We're like Moses, who responds to the voice of God coming from a burning bush by saying, I'm not a very good speaker. Or Gideon, responding to an angel, calling him to lead his people into battle with, I'm a pretty weak guy, I'll need a sign. And then after he gets a sign from the angel saying, I'll need another sign. God desires to use his people to accomplish his purposes, but our response is often no, choose someone else please. In our passage today, Jesus patiently gives his disciples further instructions on how to organize the large gathering into smaller groups and then proceeds to give them everything they need to provide every person there with enough food to satisfy them. When everyone was finished, they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus is ready and willing to give us everything that we need to serve Him and serve our community, and we, have plen- and we will have plenty for ourselves as well. Of course, everyone who experienced this seaside banquet became very excited And as we read in John's account of this miracle, in John chapter 6, they wanted to take him by force, to make him king. Although the people clearly recognized the presence of God in Jesus, they had no understanding of his plan to bring about the restoration that they all desired. And so our text continues in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. Jesus did not want his disciples to get caught up in this coronation excitement because that wasn't his plan. The disciples might have anticipated that Jesus would say to them, this was a good day. You've learned some important things. Let's get some rest. But no, he sends them back onto the sea and into a stormy night. The call of our compelling savior is not a call to an easy life. Ann and I have enjoyed reading through Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. Keller does an excellent job of describing the life of service that every believer is called to, a life of walking with Jesus and caring for the people around us. When considering our neighbors' needs, Keller lays out that our first priority is to share the good news of the gospel, not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, but because the eternal is more important than the temporal. But then Keller goes on to explain that the gospel produces in the believer's heart a genuine concern for the needy and the suffering, a concern that translates into action and that the acts of justice that we carry out will increase the credibility of the gospel that we are speaking about to those we come alongside of. Jesus is revealing to his disciples and to us that he desires to use us as ambassadors in his plan of redemption for the world. He is the compelling Christ but the reason that we can joyfully respond to this difficult call of the compelling Christ is that Jesus is also our companion Christ as we continue in our passage this morning we read that the disciples are caught in yet another Sea of Galilee storm but unlike the earlier experience that we read about in Matthew chapter 8 Jesus is not with the disciples in the boat It is the fourth watch, which means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so the disciples have had a long, struggling night. They are tired and afraid. In the midst of the dark night, they see a shadowy figure coming towards them on the water. Their first reaction is not, Jesus, there you are. No, in their fear and exhaustion, they think they're seeing a ghost. Have you experienced that? In times of struggle, Is it difficult to see that Jesus is present? Jesus comes closer to his friends and reassures them. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus is turning their attention from the wind and the waves to himself and reminding them of who he is. The words, it is I, could also be translated, I am. Jesus is the living God. And then we read about Peter's response. This part of the story is recorded only in the Gospel of Matthew, but there's so much that we can learn from these six verses. In fact, 20 years ago, Christian author John Ortberg wrote a whole book based on these six verses entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, which I've referenced for some of the thoughts that follow. After Jesus reassures the disciples with, It is I... Peter calls out, Lord, if it is you, I don't know who else Peter thought this person strolling on the water could be, but he knows how to confirm the water walker's identity. Command me to come to you on the water. Our first impression might be that Peter is behaving rashly once again, acting first and then thinking later, but that's not the case here. It would be a thrilling experience to step out of that boat and join your master Jesus on the water, defying gravity and the storm that surrounds you. But Peter first takes the time to confirm that Jesus wants him to do this. Command me to come. That's an important lesson for us. When we consider how we might serve our compelling Savior, we need to discern that it is Jesus who is calling us into a particular path and not our own pride or sense of duty or desire for adventure. Ortberg suggests that we who are believers should always seek out trusted Christian friends and family. He writes that the Quakers would call this a clearness committee to help us determine if we are considering a particular direction in our lives in order to honour Christ or to serve ourselves. After Peter's question, we read Jesus' response, come, and Peter, with his gaze firmly fixed on his master and friend Jesus, the companion Christ, steps out of the boat and walks on water. Amazing. Brothers and sisters, what is Jesus calling you to do for him? How are you being invited to step out of your boat of security and into the unknown? Some of you are working through studies and you're wondering what career God would desire for you. Some of you are hoping to meet that person who will become your life partner. Some of you are raising children and wondering how to honor God as you teach your children about his ways. Others are approaching retirement years, or already there like me, and and wanting to be useful for the Lord. For each of us, God has provided guidance in his holy word. He has given us an outline of how to live a life of obedience and justice but it is up to each one of us to decide how we will respond. The call of Jesus might be something more specific, such as how to speak to an unbelieving friend about our Savior, or how to act with integrity when your employer asks you to do something you're not sure is ethical, or how to serve in your church family, as we were reminded this morning by Pastor Paul. Each of us is being invited by our compassionate Savior to join him In his amazing plan of restoration for his creation. He is calling us to come along with him. Once you've decided to step out in faith, to walk with your friend Jesus, you might expect that all of life's challenges are no longer a concern, tiny in comparison to life with Jesus. But we read that Peter, as he is walking towards Jesus, takes his gaze away from Jesus. He sees the wind and the water He's afraid, and doubt creeps in. He begins to sink. When we set out on some path of service for the Lord, we are not promised smooth sailing. There will be disappointments. There will be pain. There will be struggle. Again, we can learn from Peter's actions. In desperation, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out to take hold of his friend, Peter. He walks with Peter back to the boat and then bids the wind and the waves to be still. Friends, we can trust our companion Jesus. He loves us more than we can understand, and he wants us to trust him with our whole lives. When we experience the storms of life, he reminds us to look to him. So how do we look to him? Well, we spend time in God's Word so that we can grow in our knowledge and appreciation of who Jesus is. We spend time in prayer so that God can take our doubts and fears and replace them with the peace and confidence that only he can provide. Spend time with Christian brothers and sisters so that we can remind each other of all that Jesus has done in the past and all that he continues to do in our lives today. I'm excited about all that God is doing in our lives here at KW Redeemer Church. We have some wonderful opportunities to be God's agents of healing with each other, in our homes and classrooms and workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our community. I'm thankful that Paul and Susan and their family were willing to get out of the boat more than 10 years ago. They answered God's call to serve him with a church plant in KW, despite knowing that most church plants do not succeed. Along the way, there were storms of doubt that crept in, Think of a pandemic and having to preach every week from your basement office, but God has been faithful and has allowed them to persevere and prosper. And we continue to be blessed by their lives of ministry today. I say these things not to draw attention to Paul and Susan because they don't want that. I say these things to draw attention to our faithful companion, Jesus Christ, who carries us through life and into eternal fellowship with the family of God. Perhaps some of you who are listening this morning haven't yet taken that first step out of the boat. You've been interested to learn about Jesus, who he is and what his life is all about, but you're not sure that his call is for you. I would invite you to look at Jesus, to see his compassion for you, to hear his call for you to come to him, and best of all, to experience the life-changing companionship of the one who died for you and now reigns with his Father in heaven. Please come and talk to me or Pastor Paul or Peter or our wives. We'd love to help you work through your questions so that you can take the best first step you will ever take. I close this morning with the words of encouragement that Jesus gave to his disciples on their final night together before his arrest and execution, as recorded in John 14, beginning at verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, who gave himself to redeem his lost sheep. He is the compelling Christ who calls us to join him in the work of bringing healing and restoration to our broken world. And he is the companion Christ who promises that he would be with us until the end of the age. When Jesus and Peter had gotten back into the boat and Jesus had calmed the storm, those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. May that be our response as well. Amen. Let's pray.